Chanel Connects, a new podcast series connecting creative game changers from across the arts in conversation from their homes and studios. Tilda Swinton, Kira Knightley, Edward Annenfeld, Lulu Wong, Pharrell Williams, and many more. So you just witnessed the turning point. <laughs> that was the turning point in action. This is Chanel Connects. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I think that what we're in store for is very much a quantity over quality year in the auction sector. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. Well, the new year is already in full swing, and after all the chaos and upheaval of last year, it's safe to say that we're all on tenterhooks about what 2020 will bring. Luckily, here at Artnet News, the future is a bit less of a mystery thanks to our own art business editor, Tim Schneider, who each January becomes mystically invested with the powers of clairvoyance, allowing him to write hair-raisingly specific predictions for what will transpire in the art industry. So, what should art collectors, dealers, artists, museum workers, and the rest expect to take place this year? To find out, I'm very happy to have Tim Schneider, a.k.a. the prodigious prognosticator, a.k.a. the dean of divination, back on The Art Angle today. Thanks for coming back on The Art Angle, O oh wise and all-seeing Tim. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, especially with such a florid introduction. Well, thank you very much. My specialty. So I know you were on the show this time last year to give your predictions, but can you remind our listeners of the source of your mystical powers? I, I assume you inhale the fumes from a crack in an ancient cave, or do you auger from the flight of birds? Well, it's actually, it's a little different than that. It is a genetic defect. It turns out that it's actually shared by all straight white men. It's this thing where the less we can possibly know about something for sure, the more compelled we feel to talk about it at length. Hmm. So ultimately, you just got to chalk it up to the Y chromosome. Wow. That is a powerful bit of delusion <laughs> right there. <laughs> uh, so, all right. <laughs> what was your first prediction? Well, the first actual prediction speaks to, I think, the central question of the art market in 2021, which is... How big of a thing are in-person events going to be again? And so I predicted that the following art fairs were all going to proceed as currently planned this coming year. And they were Freeze New York on May the 5th, Art Basel Hong Kong on May the 21st, Freeze Los Angeles on July 26th, The Armory Show in New York on September 9th, and last but not least, Art Basel, Miami Beach in December. Hmm. So first off, why does that matter? Well, it matters because of the fact that for all the talk of the technological advances that the art market was going to make last year out of necessity because of the shutdowns, people are really just burnt out on digital shopping for art. I hmm. think that the onslaught of online viewing rooms has really created a fatigue, both sellers and buyers, and really everybody in between in the art industry, I think has really fully metabolized the reality that you just can't fully recreate these in-person events 
online. You're never going to have the level of social activity, the level of conversation, the sort of spontaneity of moving from one artist to another. All of those things are really what drives business. The art market really is still such a socially driven market that I think, especially in light of how much money people have already lost in the course of the last year, and by people, I mean the dealers and the artists and the art services people more so than the collectors. I think there's just a real desperation to get back to something resembling a fully operational industry. And the art fairs are really, I think, a central peg of that. It's interesting because going back to the status quo shouldn't be such a surprising event. But this is actually pretty shocking because art fairs are textbook super spreader events. And in fact, many people came down with COVID after attending New York's Armory Week fairs last March, including the great Arte Povera curator Germano Salant, who died from his disease, and also me, who came down with a mild <laughs> but still fiendishly unpleasant case that lasted for two months. And I came down with it on March 11th, right after attending the Armory Show and the Independent Art Fair. Right afterwards, there was another art fair, TFOF, and dozens of people caught the virus there. And it's hard to imagine that people will not be a little bit antsy about the prospect of attending one of these kind of air-kissing bonanzas anytime soon. It is and it isn't. I think that what's important to keep in mind about those fairs that you just mentioned is that we were all still really ignorant about what the virus was, where it was, how it was contracted. I mean, that's that's what was really terrifying about last spring, was just that we were completely in the dark about how this thing spread, what it was, what the symptoms were, all those kinds of things. And while there are still a lot of things that we don't know about it, but we know a hell of a lot more about it now than what we did then, I think Art Basel Hong Kong is going to be a really interesting litmus test of that mm -hmm. because of the fact that we here in the virus-beleaguered West, I think, have really lost sight of just how thoroughly the virus has been stamped out in countries in East and Southeast Asia. I think Exhibit A in this situation is that in November, they had an in-person art fair week in Shanghai. The two biggest art fairs in Shanghai, which are Art 21 and West Bond Art and Design, those both happened. Hmm. And there was an Alex de Corte show at Prada Rongzai, which had a thousand people show up on opening night. And it could happen because there are very few cases of it. And people actually, believe it or not, follow the medical guidance about how you can avoid it. And then if you move aside from that, all of the rest of the fairs that I have on this list are, for the most part, fairs that are happening in the warm weather part of the calendar year where we saw the virus recede. And all of these events have, in one way or another, been modified to be more amenable to social distancing scenarios. So for instance, Freeze New York is only going to have one-third of the usual number of exhibitors that it has. And it's not happening on Randall's Island, where in a lot of cases they were running buses to bring people out to this remote location. It's happening at the Shed, where they were already having exhibitions in the fall, safely. Hmm. Freeze LA has moved away from a central location for the fair. They've distributed it throughout the city to a variety of different 
smaller venues. So that's obviously much more amenable. And I guarantee that some of those venues will be outdoors too, which will make it even safer. The Armory Show uh, is not going to happen at the Westside Piers this time. It's going to happen for the first time at the Javits Center, which incidentally was converted into an emergency hospital early on in the coronavirus uh, crisis here in New York. So I think we can be reasonably sure that that's, that's going to be a safely set up venue. And then the last of these is our Basel Miami Beach, which happens at the very, very end of the year. And I think it's safe to say that a large number of people will be attending that event will have definitely been vaccinated by then. Yeah, I, I think that it's maybe not as extreme a prediction as it might at first look. So this is great news for the business. But it's interesting that you left out two major fairs. In fact, you left out probably the most megawatt in terms of blue chip art sales fair of the year, which is Art Basel in Basel. That's currently scheduled for June 14th. And you also left out Freeze London, which is scheduled to launch on October 13th. So why did you leave off these two fairs? I'm putting caveats on those two for these very specific reasons. When it comes to Art Basel in Basel, what we saw last summer was that Switzerland really lived up to its reputation as one of the most buttoned-up, exacting countries in the world when it comes to the precautions that they were imposing on businesses and on large gatherings of people in the country. So I don't think that Art Basel is likely to be canceled outright as it was last year. I could definitely see a situation where government officials come in and instruct MCH Group and Art Basel to push back the fair maybe a month or two just to give more time for vaccines to roll out or something of that nature. So I, I do think it'll happen, but I think that there's a chance that it could happen maybe a little bit later. Freeze London is a little bit different. That's happening in mid-October. And that's the stretch of the calendar where we saw coronavirus transmissions start to rise again last year. And the UK is in this weird position where they were first movers on vaccinating people, but they've also adopted this weird mix and match strategy where they're saying like you can get one dose of the Pfizer vaccine and then a second dose of the Moderna vaccine and it's fine, even though there's no medical guidance that suggests that that's okay. So that makes me a little nervous. But more than anything else, the key here is that the prediction is about these events as currently planned. And right now, Freeze London is still scheduled to take place in its normal centralized location in Regent's Park. And so I think that there is a very real chance that if nothing else, Freeze officials could basically replicate what they're doing in LA and say, you know what, instead of doing this at Regent's Park, we're going to distribute it throughout the city and sort of reduce the risk that people are exposed to by necessarily tamping things down or, or minimizing the size of the groups that are going to these specific things. Okay, so what is your next prediction? So my next prediction is that the number of fine artworks sold at auction in 2021 will reach an all-time high. Okay, so I think this is kind of in tune with what we're expecting about the economy. We're going to get this huge Biden bump. Everything's going to come back. It's going to be a huge economic moment. Is that what's going on here? Not exactly. 
here's how I thought this one through. So for reference, the number of fine artworks sold peaked all the way back in 2011 in that year, according to our good friends at the Art and Price database. Almost 367,000 fine artworks sold at auction worldwide, which is obviously a hell of a lot. But in 2019, which was we'll all refer to as the last normal year, only about 310,000 sold. And even that number was the highest it had been since 2014. So things had really been trending downwards for multiple years since since 2011. So what I'm predicting here is kind of bold, but it's based on this idea that I think that what we're in store for is very much a quantity over quality year in the auction sector. And the reason for that is that the collectors who have really, really prime trophy works, some of the works that would sell for tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, or at least above $100 million, the collectors who have the ability to hold those artworks back until things are really, really normal again, I think they're they're definitely going to exercise that. Hmm. Um the 3Ds, of course, will always come into play here, death, debt, and divorce. There are collectors who will not have the opportunity to uh, to hold things back. You may still see some very small number of very high-value works. You'll certainly still see some works that are worth tens of millions of dollars. It's really going to be a year, I think, where the auction houses have to try to make up for a lack of really premier works by just selling more and more and more stuff. Hmm. And they've already sort of moved in this direction last year out of necessity because of the way that the coronavirus forced the auction calendar to get fractured and broken up. You saw many different types of sales being held at different times of year than they would normally be held. And I think it really has sort of unshackled that side of the industry to just say like, hey, we don't need to do what we did before. Let's just blanket the calendar as much as we possibly can within reason, as much as we think is smart to do, and offer a lot of stuff. And that's the only way that we're going to basically, through volume, make up for the business that we know we're not going to do at the top end. And to speak to the Wall Street bump that you referred to, the other factor in this is that collectors do have money to spend and have shown some willingness to spend it. Uh, It was a very, very good year in 2020 for people who had significant investment portfolios. That V-shaped recovery that people were talking about did happen on Wall Street, just didn't happen in the day-to-day economy. And so you have a lot of people who still have a lot of money that they're willing to spend. A lot of those people also saved money last year because they weren't spending as much, they weren't traveling as much, they weren't doing things that were maybe quite as extravagant. So I think that you have this recipe for a high number of sales. It's just that you're not going to be seeing a lot of transactions, the very apex of the price pyramid. So it's clear that the auction houses have basically invented a Gatling gun for selling art, you know, through the in-person sales and also virtually. But are you saying that they're going to be selling a record number of artworks to the same art audience, or are they going to be selling a record number of artworks to a larger art audience? 
I think that it will probably be a larger art audience. I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I know that the major houses were coming out at the end of last year and really trying to throw emphasis on the fact that they had a lot of bidding from new bidders, people who previously weren't even signing up for a paddle, let alone actually winning works. And I think that that is definitely something that the art market as a whole has to look at. Both the auction houses and the, the private market really, I think, needing to expand their net, needing to try to get to more people. And hmm. so if you're trying to sell more and more works, it makes sense that you would be able to do that by reaching out to more and more people that you might not normally. Totally fascinating. What's the next prediction? Let's stick with the auction market. And the next one that I put on the list was that Cause will outsell every individual old master except for Sandro Botticelli by value at auctions worldwide. Okay, so this this is Cause, a.k.a. Brian Donnelly, who got his start making toy figurines, and you're saying that he is going to outsell <laughs> the Renaissance masters like Raphael, Leonardo, and everybody but Sandro Botticelli. Why, why Botticelli? I singled out Botticelli for one very specific reason, which is that there is a painting called Young Man Holding a Roundel, which is going to come up for auction at Sotheby's later on this month, and it is currently estimated to sell for around $80 million. And this is because Botticelli paintings are incredibly rare to come to market. And this one in particular has a very strong institutional track record. It's been shown at the Met, London's National Gallery, and the National Gallery in Washington, D.C. And with an $80 million or potentially higher head start, I think it's possible that Cause won't be able to make up that ground. That said, this may really surprise some listeners, but Cause still has a chance because if you look back at what he did at auction in 2019, do you want to guess what his total auction sales were that year, Andrew, by value? 2019. Okay. So he's one human being. <laughs> yes. Alive. And I'll, I'll even give you a little bit to go on. So in the year previously, he did just under $34 million at auction. Okay. So the year previously, $34 million, thereabouts. I'm going to go big on this one, and I'm going to say $90 million. It's a pretty good guess. Huh. You didn't go high enough. The real number <laughs> is $112 million. Holy moly. Wow. So... Is, what explains this? I mean, Cause is a very interesting artist. He has a great backstory. There's a lot of entry points to his work. But why is he all of a sudden, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Botticelli? Well, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask about this, but essentially he has become a, a real focus, particularly for young collectors in Asia. And some of his biggest records have been set over in Hong Kong. And you can look up footage of cause visiting Asian countries and being followed around like 
teenagers following around a boy band. We did a post last year that showed footage of people literally rioting to get cause merchandise that was on sale at Uniqlo stores in Asian countries. He's really a phenomenon. And you can say that that's a horrific thing for the sake of art history, but it is more and more just a fact of the way that the market works. And so I think this will be a really revealing referendum on where the market is headed in 2021. Very, very interesting. Okay, so let's move on to your predictions when it comes to museums. What do you predict in the world of museology next year? Okay, so I have a couple of different prognostications in this sector, and let's let's start with this one. So I'm going to guess that more U.S. art institutions will deaccession works from their collections in 2021 than did so in 2020. So this is a little bit counterintuitive because 2020 was a huge economic crisis and museums had to shut down, and hopefully in 2021... We're going to see museums opening up and hopefully not being in such crisis anymore. But what what is the context here? So there are a few different factors in play here. And I will say just for reference, because that prediction may not necessarily be super hard number based right now. We had nine American art institutions that deaccessioned works from their collections last year. So I'm saying that at least 10 will do so this year. And The reason I think that this is going to happen is that you're right. There was just a huge amount of distress in the finances of museums in 2020. But it's not as if they found a solution for that yet. All of those losses are just carrying forward. And at this point, here in the U.S., there are still a lot of museums that are not operating at anywhere near full capacity. They still have really low visitor numbers. People are not particularly interested in spending money at a gift shop or whatever else. So I think that the economic distress that the institutional sector has been experiencing for the past year is only getting more severe every day. And you're going to end up in a situation where more and more of these institutions feel like they have no choice to stay afloat except to go into their archives and start pulling out works that they think that they can sell on the open market. This is kind of uh, shocking in a way because deaccessioning for a long time has been a taboo in the industry. So what do you think is going to lead that to change in this year? So important context here is that the Association of Art Museum Directors, the AAMD, which is one of the main professional associations of art museum directors in the U.S., (laughs) they normally only allow their member institutions to deaccession works for the sake of buying other works. But... In light of the crisis last year, they temporarily revised their guidelines to allow institutions to sell works from their collection for other purposes that will still directly benefit the care of the collection. So even if they're not buying more stuff, they can use the money to, say, restore artworks or just keep the things safe 
and in good condition for the public until museums can really get back on their feet. So that provides more latitude than these museums normally benefit from in this type of economic crisis. On top of that, we had this major blow up at the end of last year where the Baltimore Museum of Art, which has made a name for itself for really trying to make these bold equality and justice-driven initiatives that often rankle people in the kind of old guard of the museum sector. They moved to consign some pretty major artworks to auction for the sake of creating a new long-term endowment. And this created a firestorm among people who had considerable interests in the museum and in the community. And what ultimately ended up happening was that the AAMD came back and like very coyly, right before the sale was supposed to happen, said, well, kind of, we just want to clarify our new rules around this a little bit. And like, if you're not selling these things for the sake of the direct care of the collection, you kind of still can't sell them. And I don't think that they came out and said specifically like, hey, don't sell stuff to create an endowment. But that was very much the implication and the museum backed off. And they weren't necessarily happy about it. There's still some pretty strong public statements being made in both directions about what happened. But I think that the hope among the anti-deaccessioning crowd is that this will really chasten museums and say like, oh, okay, we really should just try to stay out of this area completely because we can still get our knuckles slapped at the ruler. I think it's actually going to do the opposite because of the fact that now there is a really bright line drawn and they understand exactly how far they can go without tipping over into the badlands. Hmm. And so we'll see. Either I'm right about that or I'm wrong. What about art galleries? Tell me, what do you see happening with art galleries in 2021? So one of the things that... I'm betting on happening this year in the gallery sector is that you're going to see multiple galleries phase out the dedicated online viewing rooms that they've started running since the original shutdown last year. So that's kind of counterintuitive again, because one of the biggest silver linings of the pandemic seems to have been that it has accelerated traditional sectors like the art industry to move into the digital age. And it sounds like what you're saying is that they're going to intentionally take a technological step backwards. So how does that work out? Well, I think that really it comes back to this issue of the past year having solidified this idea that what people really want more than anything else is to have these in-person experiences with art again. And as you said, so much of the online viewing room boom happened because galleries had no other choice for a while, except to go digital, because they literally couldn't be open. But I think that what a lot of a lot of collectors have vocalized during that time is that they've become burnt out by the number of online viewing rooms they're being informed about day in, day out. And on top of that, I think that a lot of the galleries are sort of saying, like, God, we kind of really don't want to do this. I think that there are going to be several instances where the upside that they're getting from running these online viewing rooms 
is not enough to justify the effort that they're putting out to keep running them. Because a lot of these hmm. places are small businesses with not very many staff members, and they're not necessarily digitally native people. And if you're trying to run a hybrid exhibition space and online viewing room at the same time, it's just a lot of work. And I think if you can get into a situation where you can focus more of your efforts on the in-person thing, then I think that more and more galleries are going to be willing to do that. And I think that, frankly, a lot of collectors are going to thank them for it. So online sales really reward having tiers of lots of different kinds of inventory and real volume of inventory. So that would suggest that the smaller galleries are not really perfectly adapted to this online e-commerce business. But does your prophecy apply to galleries like David Zwerner, which has been reportedly having huge success with their digital operation and that they've actually, you know, they've staffed this digital operation as if it was a virtual version of one of their physical galleries. So they seem to be very intent on the longevity of this strategy. So does it apply to people like them? No, no, I think that that's really unlikely. I think that really where you're going to see this this change happen is, again, at the lower level spaces that are more strapped for resources than the major players that are also going to have smaller margins on their artworks than a David's Werner or a Gagosian would hmm. on theirs. So again, the, the payoff that they have doing these things is going to end up being less, I think, in a lot of cases than the effort it takes for them to actually continue to run them. So what else does your crystal ball tell you about galleries? I have a couple of more predictions about them. I'll try to synthesize them into one answer. But essentially, I think that you're going to see a couple of different trends play out. One is going to be that you'll see a professional association of galleries partner with a real estate firm to launch a series of pop-up exhibitions in unleased commercial properties. You're going to see that at least two new collectives of dealers or artists will form under the banner of a shared identity, region, or set of values. Can you unpack that a little bit? What do you mean by form under a, a shared identity, region, or, or set of values? So this really comes from something that's happening in commerce more broadly, where people who buy products and services have become more and more concerned than ever with who exactly they're buying those products and services from, and as a result, who and what they are supporting. So you've seen these pushes for people to shop local, support, say, Black-owned businesses, or fund ethical or sustainable supply chains. And we've seen some moves in this direction in the art world, too, where just last year, there was a collective of black image makers called C and Black that formed. And they did a sale in the earlier part of last year of prints to benefit various social justice organizations. There was a network of more than 60 galleries in Los Angeles that formed a, an entity called Gallery Association Los Angeles. And that was to create a shared online platform, but also to do an ongoing sort of resource sharing initiative in the physical world as well. So I think that this is something that you're going to see happen again somewhere in the art realm. It's just, I can't say exactly how that's that's going to take place. What I am much more sure about is this other prediction about the 
a professional association of dealers partnering with a real estate firm and saying like, hey, we have all this unleased commercial property from the way that major art cities have been hollowed out by the mass work from home situation that we're all now in the midst of. And I think we're going to see a scenario where we've already experienced plenty of situations where real estate companies like really want to use the arts to promote their properties and fill space that otherwise might be vacant. And I think this is just a set of priorities converging in one place and saying like, okay, this makes too much sense for all of us not to move forward with, especially when you consider the fact that I think that there are a lot of galleries that are secretly underwater on their leases from all the business that they've lost in the course of the past year. And so you're going to have a lot of dealers who are looking for space, a lot of real estate developers who have space that they can't get really normal paying customers for, and an opportunity to market by doing something good for the arts and all that stuff, I think just sort of dovetails into one opportunity for everyone. I noticed that one prediction that you didn't tee up again for this year is the one about a major gallery going carbon neutral. So it seems like, you know, Biden's coming in, he's going to have a very climate-friendly, anti-climate change agenda. There seems to be an expectation that this is going to be the year that we're all going to be galvanized against this new common enemy of, of climate change. Do you not think that a major gallery is going to go carbon neutral this year? I think ultimately it's a situation where these galleries are businesses and what they have to worry about first and foremost is getting their financial house in order. And until they're really able to do that, I don't think that they're going to be super concerned yet about making as big a move as pledging to go carbon neutral. I think that they may make some other environmentally focused moves that are maybe not as bold. But if we get to that next step and somebody really decides to step out and and say, hey, carbon neutral it is starting now, it won't catch me completely off guard, but it will surprise me a little bit. Well, I'll just put it out there that this would be a very good branding exercise for a gallery or a group of galleries if they wanted to get on board with something very popular and uplifting this year. But I'll just leave that to them. I don't want to influence the course of the future. But Tim, do you have any more predictions? The last one that I had on my list is that an existing art institution will begin automating some of its frontline admission staff out of existence. Okay, so so this is like a Terminator 2 kind of thing. I, I know that's not what you're saying, but... Well, hopefully it's not quite that extreme, but <laughs> yeah, somewhat, I guess. You're saying basically this is going to be the first little baby step of, of the robots coming into the art industry. Well, yeah, to some extent. I think that it's it's just a sort of sad acknowledgement of the reality of work in high-income countries at this point, given all of what we talked about with what museums are facing in terms of all the financial losses that they've taken, uh, reduced crowds, a real urgency to try to operate as safely as they can. It just seems like a potential perfect storm for somebody to come in with an automated solution, say like, hey, you know, you can accomplish all those things by no longer having people working the front lobby to scan tickets. You can just put a kiosk in there with some ropes and uh, you can accomplish the same thing at a fraction of the cost 
and keep everybody safer at the same time. And I think that this is just a case where the sort of grander trends in the American labor force are going to come to roost in the art world maybe a little faster than some people are anticipating. Well, it seems like the the safest and most efficient way of doing this would be to have these automated kiosks and then have, have robot viewers going through the galleries and observing the art wow. and socially distancing. Maybe we can save that one for the 2022 predictions. But thanks very much for coming on The Art Angle, Tim. This has been a real pleasure as always. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. 